you would pray with me and then we're going to look at that text uh, together in just a moment. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to be together. Uh, We thank you uh, for your word that you have inspired for us, that you have kept for us. And so as we spend time this morning thinking about uh, the ways that you draw us to you, uh, that your grace in our lives and, and what that looks like, we pray that you would be our teacher and that you would lead and guide us in this time, that you would take the eternal truths of your word and that you would apply them to us. As, as we're even going to talk about today, we can't do any of this without you, that it's all by your grace that any of this can happen. And so we just confess this morning that we need you. We pray that you would be our teacher, that you would take uh, these truths and apply them to us and that we would leave here uh, having seen you more clearly and more fully. We pray that uh, it would lead us to uh, true worship. It's an overflow of our hearts uh, for who you are and what you've done for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, there was a, a, a quote that has stuck with me uh, many years. I've, I had to read some books by a Christian philosopher named uh, J.P. Moreland when I was in uh, seminary. And, and through the years, I've read a bunch of his books. He's written a lot. And, uh, but he had this quote that really stuck with me from one of those books I read way back and, and thought about it a lot since then. But he's, he had this, this phrase of, uh, he said, you can't believe uh, with real conviction that which is vague in your mind. Right? You, you can't believe with real conviction that which is vague in your mind. And then it's hard for us to have a real conviction about something if it's this kind of fuzzy idea that we're struggling with or we don't really know to be true or we're, we're not sure that it is. And so he was always talking about, uh, Moreland talks a lot about loving God with your, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that your mind is part of that and loving God with your mind. And the, the Bible says the same thing, uh, that we want to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Like that's a Romans 12 talks about that, that that's part of those, that those go together. And so just thinking about that phrase that you can't believe with real conviction, that which is vague. And so, uh, for example, if we say God is good, but we don't know why God is good or we don't know that in our life, we don't understand biblically why that's true. We can say that. And we could even believe that, but it's hard for us to hold it with a real strong conviction. Or, or, or maybe a, a better example would be um, if you introduce me to a friend of yours and you say, this guy is a really great guy, he's the nicest guy, uh, really helpful. I, I may believe you and I may uh, hear you say that and go, OK, that, that's great, but I don't know the person. And so I don't have that conviction that you have is having that relationship with him. But I would have a different conviction. I would know it more fully if it was somebody I knew and I had experienced that and spent time with. And so it's important when we start to think about what we believe and and why we believe it and holding that with conviction. And I want to think a little bit this morning about how that pertains to our worship, uh, particularly when we gather together, our corporate worship as we come together. And when we talk about worship, it's all that we do. It's the the songs we sing and uh, our, our hearts and every bit of this. Sometimes we, we like to boil worship down to just songs or just singing, but all of our life can be an act of worship. And it's, it's the heart condition towards God and who he is and the way we see that. And so when we're thinking about that, I, I do want us to think a little bit about how it pertains to the music and the songs we sing. And when we gather together, that is a big part of our worship and the, the overflow of our hearts. And so sometimes I think we can come in and we can sing songs and we can sing to God and we can kind of go through the motions. Uh, we cannot really be thinking about the truths that we're singing. And uh, sometimes all of us do this at different times, but we can have certain songs that really mean a lot to us. 
and, and we want to sing those out and we're real excited about it. But our heart is kind of a, a fickle thing. And, and I remember reading a bunch of uh, books about worship and, and trying to think through this a little bit. This idea that uh, sometimes we really love certain songs uh, because of the memories that are tied to it. Right. Like maybe you grew up in church and you remember going uh, with your family and singing those songs. And so they have a, a special place in your heart. And so when we sing one of those songs, you're like, yes, I love this song. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's a true heart of worship, right? Maybe our mind's not connecting to the truth of who God is and what that looks like. And it's just a, a good feeling we have because it's familiar. Or it's a good feeling we have because of some memories that are tied to it. Now, those things are not bad or sinful or wrong, but it's not really an overflow of a true heart of worship, of, of worshiping God in spirit and truth for who he is and being overwhelmed with that truth. And so what we've done a couple times through the years, and it's been a little while since I've done this, but we take and look just at some of the songs that we sing. And what I try to do is, is kind of flesh out a little bit for you why we sing the songs that we sing in the sense of what is the theology? What is it teaching? What is it saying about who God is? And why do we ever pick this song to sing in the first place? And the reason that I try to do that, and the reason we're going to do that this morning it, is that we would really be singing from a place of, of overflow of our heart of who God is and what that means and, and what he's like. And, and we're reading those words and we're seeing the truth that's in them. And then we're singing back to God for who he is. And it's not necessarily just because I like the tune and the melody or nothing wrong with that either. That's a good thing. But it's it's more than that, that it's a deeper place than that. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this song. It's actually printed in your bulletin because we're going to sing it in a few minutes when I'm finished here. And hopefully uh, my goal, uh, my heart in this is that we're going to spend a little bit of time about what it actually says. And we're going to look at the scriptural support of why we picked this song and why we're singing it. And then we're going to stand up and sing it together. And hopefully we're going to highlight who God is and what is true about him and us in light of that. And it will lead us uh, to a fuller worship. And so the song that I picked for it, this today is a song called Grace Alone that we've been singing. I think I look back about three and a half years in this church. We've been singing that song pretty regularly. It's a very new song. It was written five or six years ago. It's a much newer song than a lot of the songs we sing. But the reason uh, picking that song is there's so much truth in it of what is said there. There's so many rich theological ideas in that. Uh, in fact, this week, as I was preparing for this and thinking about it, I took the song, printed out the words, had it on a sheet of paper and just went through and was writing all the verses that corresponded, uh, biblical verses that correspond with each line of the song. And every line of the song, I had multiple verses that went with every single one of them because it says so many rich, important things that are there as you read through it. But one of the things is I did that. And, and by the way, I would encourage you uh, the songs that we sing. That's a great practice, maybe even in your own devotional time or quiet time to do that, because it helps prepare your heart as we come together to sing about who God is and what it is we're singing. It was really good for me even doing, having looked at that song a lot and sang it a lot to actually take the time and stop and go through that. It helped make all those lines and all the things that are in there that much more meaningful. And so I'd encourage you. I think that's a good practice to get into. But one of the things that came up as I was doing that and kind of making notes on that is Titus chapter three kept coming up. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so the way I'm going to do this is we're going to look at some of the words of the songs and the big ideas of what it's communicating. But then we're going to lay that over with God's word in Titus chapter three. And we're going to see the scriptural support of a whole lot of this 
And so here's the way I want us to do this. If you want to follow along with me, Titus chapter three, we're going to look at verses one through seven that Dennis just read to us. But I invite you just having that bulletin open with the with the, the words there in Titus three. And we're going to kind of go back and forth between those as we do that. And the way that I want us to do this is, is the way this song is laid out is about a third of the song is about who we were before we came to faith in Jesus. Right. So who we were, then what God has done and then who we now are. Right. And then that's the three big ideas that are in this song. It's also a big idea of what Titus chapter three is saying and what Paul writes. And so who we were, what God has done and who we now are. And so I want us to look and think through that lens together. And so let's start first with who we were. And if you look at the words of the song there, grace alone, the very beginning, those first two stanzas, it says, uh, I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I hear your call. And then the second one said, I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. And then if you you skip down further, it's about the sixth or seventh one down. It says, I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night. I swore I knew the way on my own, a head full of rocks and a heart made of stone. And so you get that image there of who we are apart from Christ and the way we're operating in the world. And it's not a very pretty picture. I mean, it's it's pretty... It's pretty bleak when you start to look at it and and you could even look at it and go, well, why even put that in a song that we're singing back to God and in praise? And so part of it is, is it, it illuminates and it helps us to see the greatness of what God has done by seeing where we were. And Paul's going to do the same thing when we look at Titus chapter three. But if you just look at those few lines, when it talks about, I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away. When I hear your call, we see that like Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve is is immediately as they sin, as they ignore God, they rebel against what he's told them. They immediately go hide. They cover themselves. God has to come looking for them. The idea of being orphaned is not that God has left us, but that we have run away from him. He is our good father that loves us, but we in our sin run away from him. Or or, or you start to, to see that I had no righteousness of my own. No right to draw near the throne of God because of my sin. Paul makes this point so clearly in uh, Romans 1 through 3. If you read Romans, that's his whole argument from halfway through chapter 1, all of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. And it kind of culminates with this idea that Paul says no one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. Every single one of us in the sinfulness of our heart rebels against them. And we come to believe this lie that we're the center of the world, right? That's the doctrine of sin, that as we rebel and sinfulness enters in, we begin to believe this lie that the world centers around us, right? And so when it talks about a head full of rocks and a heart made of stone, we see that that image come up in the Old Testament. Hardened hearts are a heart of stone and God's promising that he'll remake us from that. He'll give us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. But this idea that we can't really see anything rightly apart from God's grace in our life. And we will continue to believe the lie that it's all about us. And so when you read Titus chapter three, Paul's going to say the exact same thing. And so if you're not familiar with Titus, Titus is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a young pastor named Titus. And Titus is a pastor in Crete, which is a a messed up kind of place, right? Now, Paul went, 
and a church gets established there and the gospel takes root and people are coming to faith. But it's a really rough place. And Titus is a young pastor in this very rough place. And so this letter is writing to encourage him, right, of how to encourage his people and to help them to grow up in the gospel. And so with that in mind, look at chapter three and verse one. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And I want you just to stop there for just a second. Obviously, some of those things were going on that Paul felt the need to remind Titus to say, make sure the people know this. And it's not the main point of this, and it's not even the main point of this song here, but it's an important point just to, in light of our culture and where things are. Right? Notice what he says to them about to be ready for every good work. Uh, the, the image that he gives here, there's quarreling going on. There's some struggles. Maybe there's some struggle with the authorities and the rulers where they live. All of these things are going on, but notice what he says there. Who is it okay in God's word that it says here to speak evil of who? What, what does it say? Who is it okay that, it's, that in this situation, when they're really, really wrong, it's okay to speak evil of who? Right? It's in verse 2. It says to speak evil of no one. Right? In, in our culture, we've gotten to this thing that if we're right, it's okay to be really ugly to other people. It's okay to shame them. It's okay to, to make fun of them. It's okay to attack them because they're so wrong. And the Bible clearly says, speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. He doesn't give any caveats to that. That's not like perfect courtesy to most people except for those ones over there that are really wrong. Right? He says perfect courtesy to all people. But then notice why he reminds them of that. And this comes back to what we're talking about in the song about who we were. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He says, don't you forget who you were before the grace of God came into your life. Don't you dare get into this thing of I can look down on these other people and I can be ugly and I can be rude and I don't have to be gentle and I don't have to be kind. He says, because you're forgetting what God's done in your life. He says, that's who you were. And so it gives us a very similar uh, layout of who we were that we see in the song there. Right? It's not a pretty picture. That we were seeking all of our own stuff, various passions and pleasures. Right. That talking about the heart condition, sometimes we can read some of those things and we go, well, I don't hate other people and I'm not doing that in these ways. And I'm not quite that bad. But the truth is, when Jesus shines a light on the heart condition of our sin, it kind of puts us all stops us all in our tracks. Right? Jesus came and kind of expanded the view of the law. It's not just what you're outwardly doing, but it's the heart condition you have and the way that you see other people and what's going on even internally. And the truth is, if we're really honest and we start to look at that, that that's each one of us at different times in our lives when we operate in our flesh and our sinfulness. And he reminds us of that. Don't you forget that's who you were. And so even in the song here, when it talks about who we were, it's not to dwell on who we used to be, but it's to remind us of what we were before God came into our life and what he's done. And it magnifies 
his grace when we start to see that. And so that's the next question. So what has God done? Right? Now, there's there's a hint here, even in the name of the sermon and the song, as it's called grace alone. What God has done is he's given us his grace. And I want us to think about what that looks like. It's the reason we sing this song in this church, because of the way that it spells this out for us. It helps us to see the fullness of God's grace in all these different avenues and all these different ways. And so if you look at maybe the uh, about three quarters of the way down where it says, I was in darkness all of my life. I never do that knew the day from the night, but spirit, you made me see. Or I swore I knew my way on on my own head full of rocks and heart made of stone. But spirit, you moved in me at your touch. My sleeping spirit was awakened on my darkened heart. The light of Christ has shown called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Heaven citizen by grace and grace alone. And now look at what it says in Titus chapter three. Right, go back to verse three. We ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so what the Bible clearly says and what the song says that I, that I love so much, the way it's written and what it points us to and all these things, it talks about the way we were moving and the way we were operating. But spirit, you made me see. But spirit, you moved in me and by your sleeping at your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. Like Ephesians 2, it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy caused us to become alive. And so what the Bible clearly tells us and what Titus chapter 3 tells us is that happens by the spirit moving and regenerating you. Right? Do you see that there in verse 5? Not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration means bringing life, recreating. That he breathes life into our spiritually dead selves and allows us to see who he is. And so the idea of this is who we were and then how do we move out from being that thing to this new creation? And what he says is the spirit moves and it does this work in us that we could see who God is and what he's done. And so when we start to think about uh, what that looks like as the Spirit shows us the case, how does that work? How do we ever get to the point of seeing our need? How do we ever go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive? And the answer is it's by the grace of God as the Holy Spirit moves in your life to show you that. It's by grace that you ever come to a realization that I desperately need a Savior. It's by grace that you ever begin to see your sinfulness as the Holy Spirit moves. But then look right there in the middle of the song where it says, as we think about what the Holy Spirit shows us, right? Because the whole song is as we're singing that the fact that we can sing any of this, that I was an orphan and I was running away and that I didn't need you and all these things that I see any of that. If I'm aware of any of that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Bringing me from death to life, showing me that. 
But then he begins to tell us and, and show us who Jesus is and what he's done. And so the, the fourth stanza, you left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost, but Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone, but nothing I could ever do could atone. But Jesus, you paid my debt. By your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown. And you rose that I might do be a new creation. I'm born again by grace and grace alone. That's what the Spirit shows us. As the Spirit moves, it makes us aware that we're sinful, broken people. That even when we try to do our very best and we try to do good works and we try to do good things that are often with poor motives, we often fail. Nothing I could do could ever atone. I can never be perfect in and of myself. I can't do it. And the Spirit shows us that. And that's by grace that God allows us to see and feel our sinfulness. That's God's grace that he's doing that and moving in us in that way. And then he shows us Jesus's great love for us, that he left his throne and he came to do what we could never do for us. That he entered into time and space, that he emptied himself of all that was afforded to him as king of creation. And he comes and he lives the life that we've never lived and he dies the death that we deserve. And he says, I will take your sin upon myself and I will give you my perfect righteousness. Right. Paul says that right here. He says, whom the. Verse six, he poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And he says almost the exact same thing in Romans three, as he kind of spells that out in more detail of how that happens. In Romans three, he says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Right? Propitiation means to turn favorable by what God does for us. So he becomes the sacrifice that takes our sin. So God is no longer angry at our sin and our sinfulness because Jesus has paid for it for us. And the very next thing he says, he does this to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, He's passed over our former sins in his grace. He allows us to continue to draw breath. He suffered long suffering for this time until Jesus would come that he can pay for our sins. And then it shows his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you understand what he's saying? God is just because he's going to deal with sin, but he's also the justifier because he's the one that's dealt with our sin. He does both. And so what that leaves us in the middle of that is that we are saved by grace and grace alone. It's all what Jesus has done for us. Both sides of it. God is just and justifier. It is by Jesus's sacrifice for us. And our part in all that is just clinging to him in faith. And so I want you to think about as we think about salvation and what that looks like in God's grace in every single part of that. The reason that you ever see your need, that you are aware of your sinfulness and God's grace to you is because of God's grace moving in you through the Holy Spirit. He's illuminated you to be able to even be aware of it. 
But then it doesn't stop there. Then Jesus comes. And the reason you're justified is Jesus takes your sin upon himself and pays for it. Again, that is God's grace. It's something you cannot do. But then in Jesus leaving his home and coming to us and coming down, he lives the perfect life that we've not lived. And then he gives us his work, his righteousness that we could never attain on our own. He gives us to us. And that is by his grace. And so when you start to look at every single step of that. Even the reason that you have faith to begin with is God's grace in your life. I'd even take it a step further. Not only does Jesus pay for your sin, not only does he give you his righteousness, Jesus purchased on the cross as he went and laid down his life for us, your ability to believe. It's all of it. Every single step of the way, the fact that you're aware what he's done, what he's given you, the fact that you can even believe it is all God's grace every single part of the way. So you get to the song and we get to the very end and it says, so I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I'll run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. I want you to think about the last two parts because that kind of brings all of this together. To slay my sin and to reach the end, it will be by grace and grace alone. So often we, we get this idea, I'm saved by grace. Jesus took my sin, he saved me, he set me good with God, and now the rest of my life is work really hard. Sometimes what gets said in the church is Jesus saved us, but now the sanctification is up to you. Get to work. Right? Yeah, he did it and he gave you a clean slate, but don't screw it up. But the truth is, even your sanctification, your growth and understanding is by grace. I want you to think about how that works. It's all God's grace. See, when I have an awareness of my sin, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us a conviction of sin. How am I aware of my sin? By God's grace. As the Spirit moves. And he shows me my sin and he makes me aware of it. But then there's no guilt and shame in the Spirit. That's not what he does. So he, he convicts us of sin and then he points us to Jesus. And, and what happens is that is that takes place as we see our sin, we see our brokenness, but then the spirit points us to Jesus's finished work that we've been forgiven, that we are now righteous and that it's all Christ. And you know what that does it begins to change your heart, begins to sanctify you. And it's by grace that you're being changed because you're becoming more aware of how great God's grace is in your life. And so even your sanctification, even your growth is the grace of God in your life every step of the way. And so not only does he open your eyes, not only does he justify you, not only does he give you Christ's righteousness, not only does he do all those pieces, he also works by his grace to continue to slay your sin as he's showing you these things and he's magnifying Jesus. And so often we miss this. But as God's grace is magnified. That's what changes your heart. In Romans 2, Paul will say, don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But God is so gracious 
And he's going to show you your sins so that he can magnify how much he loves you and what he's done already. And then that's what begins to change you. You slay your sin by grace and grace alone. And then you get to the last line there and I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Why do we think that every step of the way it's God's grace, but we think, but I'm going to do the part that ends it. When everything else has been God's grace, why would why would the completion of it be anything different? And it's not in, in Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 12, it says, when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. But then verse 14, he says, for a single sacrifice, single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Read that again. Verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected. It's done in past tense all those who are being sanctified. And the Bible says this over and over. He who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. Now you read in Romans 8, and it talks about those he called, he justified, he will glorify. He's going to finish what he started. And it's all God's grace, every bit along the way, every single bit of it. And our job is simply to cling to the grace of God, to continue to look to Jesus as he makes that more and more real to us. And so we, we sing this song because it talks about how every step of it is God's grace and his grace alone. And that's what the Bible says. And so often we leave parts of that out. And I want you to be aware of it, because when we sing that song and we say that, we don't hold with any conviction things that are vague. And so I want you to think about why it's important when we talk about theology or doctrine or how God draws us or the way he sanctifies us or how that works. It's important because as we see that more clearly, right, we're taking those thoughts captive in our mind and God's showing us that it grows our conviction of how great God is. How wonderful his grace is that every single step of the way, it's God's grace working in and through us. And we are saved. We, are, we come to know. We are kept. Every single step of that is by God's grace and his grace alone. And so I want to just end here with this last part of who we now are in light of that. And some practical things of, of how it should shape the way we live. When we think about who we now are, and it does a good job kind of laying that out again in this song. It shows who we were, what God has done, and who we now are. And it says, in love before you laid the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt me as your own. You have raised me high above my station. I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. It says, by your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died to reap that I might reap what you have sown. And you rose that I might be a new creation. And I'm born again by grace and grace alone. Called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, heaven citizen, by grace and grace alone. That now, because of God's grace and Him working in all those ways, I'm a child of God, I'm a new creation, I'm a citizen of heaven's kingdom, and all of those things are because of God's grace. And I can rest in that. And I can continue to look to Jesus that He's the one that began that work and He's going to finish it. 
And so when we sing those things that we sing out, this is who we now are and what is true of us. And so I want you just to think about a couple of things, practical things, that it should change the way we live and the way we move and the way we operate and spend time with people. If it's all by God's grace, every step of that, the first thing I just want to encourage you with is the assurance of your salvation. The assurance of your salvation rests in Jesus' faithfulness. That is really, really good news. That it's His grace. That He's the one doing that work. And so our job is just to continue to look to Him. To put our faith and trust completely in Him. Even realizing that our faith and our trust is a gift of His grace. And that He's got us in that. And so it should be a wonderful, joyous thing to be reminded that it's all His grace. Because if it's not, if I could lose my salvation, I would lose it. In and of myself. But it's dependent on Him and His grace. And so I trust in that and I continue to look to Him every step of the way. But then I also want you to think about the way it changes our relationship with people. I mentioned just a second ago that we we see in our culture this idea that it's okay to be really ugly to people. Or if they're really, really wrong, it's okay to shame people. I actually read an article yesterday that a pastor I like a lot wrote. And he's talking about some different things. And then I was reading the comment. And somebody was like, yeah, you're so right. And that's good. And we should shame all those people that don't believe this. And I was like, wait, what? We should be really ugly to them. We should show them that there's no place to believe like that. And you're like, do you know Jesus? Do you know how you're saved? Do you know what that looks like? God changes us by his grace. So why is it that we think that we could glorify, which means reflect back what God is like by heaping shame and guilt on other people? Instead of pointing them to God's grace and doing so by being gracious and kind and walking with people, that doesn't mean not speaking the truth. It does speak the truth and love and saying the hard things, but so that we can point to and magnify the grace of God. God changes people by his grace. So how do we love people and show them what God is like? We give them grace. And we continue to show them what that looks like. And I would tell you in our world today that's kind of taken this thing that it's okay to be really ugly. Or it's okay to shame people. Or it's okay to to wag your finger and say, I'm so glad I'm not like those people. If we did what Jesus has done for us, if we be gracious and kind, it'll look radically different than the world. People will be like, what is the deal with that? And that's exactly what Paul's saying in Titus 3. He says, when you're tempted to all these things, remember that this is what you were like and what God has done for you. Right. And he says, remember what God did. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And so we have an opportunity to magnify God's glory by being gracious and showing people what God is like. And that's a great gift that God allows us to be part of, that we've experienced his grace so that we can show it to others. And so I'm going to pray for us here. 
And then as I finish, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're actually going to do two songs after the sermon today so we can sing this song, Grace Alone, together. And then we'll take the offering after that. But I want us to stand and really think through as we do and we sing through this. Each one of those lines, who we were and what God has done and what is true of now for us. And it's all because of God's grace. And so let's pray and then we'll stand and sing together. Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel that you have saved us by your mercy, by your grace given to us. We thank you for the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you come and you powerfully move in our lives and you open our eyes. You regenerate us. You make us into this new creation that you give us new eyes to see. You give us a heart of flesh that knows and loves you and seeks you. And so we thank you for your grace in calling us. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us, that you take our sin, that you give us your righteousness, that you keep us in that. That you continue to show us each day how to grow up into a fuller understanding of your great grace for us. And so we thank you that every step of that is by your grace and your grace alone. We thank you for for loving us long before we ever even had a thought of it. And that it's by your faithfulness that we will be brought to the end. And so we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.